Good evening, friends. Welcome to Thinking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Babulki Moseki. And we are continuing with our discussion on biblical leadership. Today, we are going to look at male leadership, the concept of male leadership in the Bible. Welcome aboard. In the background, that's music of Pari, and uh, the song is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Well, uh, welcome back. Um, as I said, we are going to talk about male leadership. Uh, is this a concept that is just based on tradition? Is it a concept that we should continue in today? Um, is it a concept that is timeless that transcends culture um, this and many other questions are what we endeavor to answer in this discussion and um, as usual this will be a two-part um, it's more than one part uh, kind of discussion so expect uh, the second part somewhere um, during the week on Wednesday to be to be more specific so we are going to look at this concept of male leadership male leadership now there's much about biblical leadership that offends church-going people today um for example uh the concept of elders you know uh who provide pastoral care um a plurality of pastors and the idea of so-called lay or non-clerical pastor elders. Yet nothing is more objectionable in the minds of contemporary people than the biblical concept of an all-male eldership. Um, however, a biblical eldership must be an all-male eldership, as we will see in this discussion. Um, in the minds of most contemporary people, Excluding women from church eldership is um, sexist, uh, discriminatory, uh, and another example of uh, misogyny. You know, like this is just male chauvinism. Um, it's mi- being misogynistic, and all kinds of anything anti-women, anti-female. Uh, that's what goes on in the minds of most contemporary people when you talk about male leadership in. Uh, reference to the biblical um, leadership structure. Discrimination against women is a grievous sin that is obvious and it is honor to God in whose image women are created. Yet in our zeal to right the wrongs committed against women, we must not forget that God designed male-female distinctions in order for the genders to beautifully complement each other and to exercise different functions in society. This is very, very key. It's very fundamental to understand this concept or this uh, key thing that God created male and female with different roles so that they may complement each other in society. To deny these distinctions is as destructive and dishonorable as it is to discriminate against women. Let me say that again. 
to deny these distinctions that God has put in place when equating male and female and gave them different roles and responsibilities in society is as destructive and dishonorable to God as it is to discriminate against women. Therefore, we need perfect clarity about the biblical teaching regarding women and men as fully equal in personhood, in dignity, and value, but distinct in gender roles. These differences are something to be enjoyed, something to be explored more fully, and to be developed throughout life, not eradicated or hated. To restrict women from the church eldership would be unjust and discriminatory if it were done arbitrarily by males for their own selfish ends. But if such restriction was part of the Creator's wise plan, then it is not discrimination, it is just and good for the welfare of the family, the local church, and the whole human race. Now let's look at the model of male leadership within the apostolate, within uh, the apostles uh, and, and the period of the apostles. Uh, let's just go back to that history of the church and look at how that operated. And the primary example of male leadership is found in the person of just Christ. Uh, the most obvious point is that Christ came into the world as a son of God, not the daughter of God. Um, his maleness was not an arbitrary matter. It was a theological necessity, absolutely essential to his person and work. Let me say that again. Christ could have come as a daughter of God, but it was necessary for him, it was imperative for him to come as a son of God. It was imperative for him to come as a male. It was a theological necessity, an absolutely essential um, thing to his person and his work. Jesus was and had to be a firstborn male, holy to the Lord. Luke chapter 2 verse 23 says that clearly. No, talking about um, the... the, the, the the, the male child being the one who opens the matrix, um, who bends the womb, that they are holy unto the Lord. And as the last Adam and the second man, he was the anti-type of Adam, not Eve. So, see the theological necessity uh, behind the maleness of Christ um, here. Therefore, Jesus said to be male. He had to be a son of David and Abraham, the true son of promise, the king, not the queen, of Israel, and the Lord, not the lady of the universe. According to the creation order, Jesus could not be a woman because in the male-female relationship, the male partner alone is invested with the headship role. Genesis chapter 2 verse 20. 22 and 23 clearly point that out. Also, when you look at First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3, you see the same concept as well as in First Timothy chapter 2 verse 12. And Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church 
and king of kings he is the model for every male leader jesus is the model for every male leader during his earthly ministry jesus personally trained and appointed 12 men whom he called apostles you get that from the book of luke chapter 6 verse 13 and just choice of male leadership was an affirmation of the creation order as presented in the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to verse 25. And before choosing the 12, Luke informs us that he just spent the entire night in prayer with his father. We read about it in Luke 6, verse 12. And as the perfect son, in complete obedience and submission to his father's will, Jesus chose 12 males to be his apostles. Thus, these men were God the Father's choice. Jesus' choice of male, of males uh, for the apostleship was based on divine principles and guidance. And he ratified the Old Testament creation order of male headship, a practice that both Paul and Peter subsequently maintained. His appointment of a male apostolate does not deny the fact that Jesus honored the dignity of women, ministered to women, traveled with them, and encouraged the, uh, them um, uh, for God and himself in a way that was quite different from the manner of religious leaders of his day. Um, you can just see that uh, he acknowledged and he uh, promoted the part of women in ministry. He does not in any way uh, imitate the common trend of his time where women were subjected or reduced to nothing. Nothing more than tools, basically, or objects. He did not objectify women. He treated them with the dignity that they deserve, and um, he, he he showed, uh, he acknowledged and, and encouraged them in their ministry um, to God, ministry to Himself as well, ministry in saving, and the mission of God. Despite his deep, deep affection and close relationship with a number of women, uh, such as Mary and Martha, uh, the sisters of Lazarus. The fact remains that Jesus Christ established an all-male apostolic office as the enduring foundation of his church. Look of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. Uh, Paul says, he says that, um, and you are no more strangers, but members of the household of God being built on the foundation of apostles and prophets just Christ himself being the chief cornerstone you see the same concept in the book of Revelation chapter 21 verse 14 and also in the book of uh, Ephesians still um, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 5 speaks to the same idea even when a replacement for Judas, one of the twelve, became necessary, only men, and uh, the Greek for that word is andron, in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 12, were considered. One man was chosen for that position by the Lord himself. 
Acts 1.24. There is no clear example of a woman apostle in the entire New Testament. Uh, there is no such in the Bible of a woman apostle in the New Testament. So uh, what we see, what we read, um, and what we see being done uh, during the time of Jesus Christ, they're in Hamad, they don't support um, or there's no evidence of a female uh, leadership as far as this office of elder or pastor is concerned. And the apostles were pastors, they were elders, as we have seen uh, in our previous presentations. In the same way, that's what Peter says in First Peter 3 verse 1 to verse 6, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Let not your adornment be merely external, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the perishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become a children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. That's in a more um, simpler English version of the Bible that I read the text. And in verse 7, First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, he says, You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So Peter supports his teaching on submission with the Old Testament scriptures and his understanding of God's divine pleasure and will. So those who try to justify women elders find little help from the examples and teachings of Jesus and the twelve apostles, basically. Now let's look at the model of male leadership in the New Testament churches. The model of male leadership in the New Testament churches. The biblical tradition of male leadership continued through the New Testament era. And even a cursory examination of uh, scripture reveals this to be true. I mean, just read through scripture, you just see that number. It's male leadership. It's a male leadership time and again. If you go through the New Testament, you'll see that. Not really re doing a deep study, but just reading, you'll see that it stands out clearly that it was a male leadership um, model of church covenants. Nearly 70% of New Testament was written by Paul. Um, that apostle, the great apostle to the Gentiles and the most do dominant New Testament figure outside of Christ um, or one of his intimate associates, um, that's Peter. Also, he's more prominent um, than uh, most of the apostles. If the Bible is allowed to speak for itself, it teaches both the equality of the sexes and gender role distinctions. And, and, and this Paul clearly brings out in his letters that all of us are equal. All of us have an equal standing before God. But there are gender 
um, role distinctions. Um, men and women are created equal. That's thing before what is equal. Yet at the same time, uh, their roles are different. Males have a certain role that they play, and females have a certain role that they play. So there's no way um, the roles are mixed up when you follow the teaching of the Bible. Uh, males, there's certain things that they are supposed to do, and not females. And then also for the females, that certain things that they're supposed to do, and not males. So. Friends, we just wanted to establish in this discussion that this concept of male leadership, uh, male eldership or headship is not a concept that is bound up by tradition as many people want to make it to appear. This discussion wanted to show that uh, it is something that is based on the creation order. It is not an afterthought. Yes, it has been abused, but the abuse of a correct principle does not uh, justify that principle being altogether uh, cast out and relegated to historical trash um, cultural um, cultural bias or um, something that you know is so ancient that it is now irrelevant to our time and to the times that we live in in our next episode in our next discussion we'll be looking at the issue of headship and submission roles in the marriage relation. And after discussing that now, we will take the same concept of headship and submission roles and apply it to the local church. And um, and then uh, that will be the end of our discussion on this concept of male leadership. Thank you for your time, friends. Um, thank you for joining in and listening to Thinking Out Loud podcast. Thinking Out Loud, shaping your destiny. Have a wonderful evening.